Welcome to Everything Ethical, your latest news and views from King & Shackson Asset Management for professional clients only. The information contained in this podcast is for general information purposes. Welcome everybody, we hope you're having a good start to the new year. I'm here with Wayne Bishop, the CEO of King & Shackson Asset Management. Uh, he's going to shed some light and some thoughts on Q4 and some expectations for the months ahead. Um, so obviously the interest rate pivot materialised in Q4 uh, last year. I know that's something we've been um, speaking about previously in our commentary. Um, so obviously starting the new year, that's something at the top of our thoughts still, isn't it, Wayne? It's important to take stock of how much or how important the interest rate pivot has been. And particularly it's since the beginning of the last quarter. We mentioned in our quarter four report that this is absolutely pivotal, that its significance cannot be understated. And we still stand by that. So why was it so pivotal? Well, interest rate expectations had been driving fear and panic in the markets to some extent, and then optimism to a certain extent as well. Um, as they've been rising and the battle against inflation have been the key focus of most of our central banks. More recently, of course, that has begun to change. We've seen inflation come under a little bit of control, and we'll come back to that point later on. But at the same time, interest rate expectations around the beginning of October suddenly started to be, this is now the peak. We've been on higher for longer, but what if higher for longer actually isn't quite the truth and it might be um, time to start thinking about cutting rates? And certainly those expectations really began to build up. And in fact, I think they got quite ahead of themselves. And that was all in the period from, say, the beginning, sort of first two weeks of October 2023 and really ran through right until the year end and a little bit into the beginning of 2024. Now, what was important about this change was not so much the actual level of interest rates. They haven't moved. And I don't think many people realistically expect them to move in the very near future. Um, but it's the fact that we have stopped going from rate hikes and the battle against inflation to a degree of rate stability and the eventual prospect of rates going down. That has been absolutely pivotal on two levels. The first level is the classic economic textbook level, i.e. the pricing of fixed income, the pricing of infrastructure and the pricing of growth assets. Um, now that you can perhaps at least have stability with interest rates and perhaps factor in either a slightly lower cost of capital, because that's already happening. You only have to think of the mortgage markets as to see that already we're seeing mortgage rates begin to come down. This is the market naturally pricing in a slightly lower level of capital. And that has a positive effect on all these assets. Alongside that, of course, there is the substitution effect to cash. Cash levels are very high. Money market deposits are very high. And eventually that money will move out, especially if you think you're going to get less on your money market deposits. And we've already seen perhaps a slight decline in um, government T-bill rates. At one point we were touching 6%. Now you are really in the 5.1, area already at the middle of January. And um, therefore people will be beginning to think that cash might need to to be deployed. It was perhaps a good idea sitting there at 5 to 6%, but now actually that money needs to find a home, find something more long term. So this is all very classic textbook economics. On the second level, it's also about the pipeline, because a lot of infrastructure assets in particular that were very hard hit post the sort of Liz Trust budget 
um, they suffered from a death in their pipeline as well, i.e. these assets were not just about, say, the wind farms you own now or the address, uh, the sort of AD plants you own at the moment or the solar parks you own at the moment or the buildings that you own at the moment. They also priced in the ones that you'd have in the future. They were pricing in an element of natural growth. Well, all those pipelines just died after the Liz Trust budget. They were all taken out. No one expected any pipeline anymore. So the future sort of growth and the underlying growth store and some assets were taken back so those pipelines have not come back yet um, we do expect to see them come back at some stage but that's probably a bit too soon right here right now um, but over time as investment cases grow and people have confidence to make investments again um, we should expect to see those pipelines begin to build up which is why we still feel that there is some some legs left in infrastructure for example so the interest rate pivot has been absolutely essential and it continues to be, I think, the key driving point for what we're seeing in fixed income, for what we're seeing in, um, in, in infrastructure, what we're seeing in property. And as I said, we're now hitting the point where we need the sort of second area to kick in or for interest rates to actually start to change. So we're uh, midway through January. You can certainly feel that with the weather outside. Um, but earnings season has just kicked off. Um, we saw there uh, from the US banks who highlighted the consumer is steady for now. Uh, they've still got COVID savings supporting them. There's a lot of talk of a soft landing. So, so what now for interest rates? We saw a very significant change in expectations. The market's begun to get quite excited about interest rate cuts. And we have a genuine two-way market on inflation at the moment. We have some factors driving inflation up, some factors driving inflation lower. We'll touch on each of these points. But the market is really now questioning when or if are we going to see interest rate cuts. And we get, again, a slightly different pull from different people. Central banks are naturally cautious. They are supposed to be dull and they were caught out by the inflation spike a couple of years ago and therefore are still continuing with their normal dogma, which I would expect to hear, and then the same old rhetoric, which is going to be, we're not going to cut rates until inflation is falling. Too soon, too soon. And that's a very good approach, and that's the approach we expect. Markets, on the other hand, tend to be more forward-thinking and will go backwards and forwards based upon the data they're seeing. And some of the data we're seeing is um, pointing to a slowing economy. Some of the data we're seeing um, still pushes towards a strong economy. So what's pushing towards a strong economy? Well, one of those data tends to be the employment report. Um, the US employment report this week um, was still quite strong. Um, there is no unemployment there. And really, there is very limited unemployment or very low unemployment across most of Europe at the moment. Now, some of this is because unemployment is a lagging indicator, but also I think it is the fact that I don't think there's a shortage of jobs out there, but it's how well people are paid and what they're able to do with their budget that I think is becoming the main pivotal issue. There is an element of a joyless recovery or a joyless non-recession or joyless growth at the moment as people find that their budgets are still being stretched that is making things difficult. But at the same time, some consumer companies are reporting solid results. Supermarkets in particular had a very solid time. Some, like today's report from Burberry, are reporting some fairly disastrous results. They're seeing they're seeing the effects of a decline in the economy. So we are at that moment at this precise moment still in this pull push area we see the same with inflation we're hearing supermarket inflation is coming down um, there's price wars beginning to develop again so 
there is this final pressure on grocery prices on um, to actually bring things down. We're seeing this with negotiations last week in France, some major negotiations between supermarkets and some very large um, product suppliers were getting quite fraught. In fact, someone was putting someone's products off the shelves because they supermarkets are saying we're not going to accept these price rises and they're going to sort of keep they're under political pressure to keep these prices down so it's not just in the uk this is happening this is happening around the world so we're beginning to see some of the price rise pressures deplete on the other hand the price of shipping has suddenly gone up because of the tensions in the red sea and the price of oil is back at 80 dollars but the price of oil has come down quite a bit so we're seeing various dynamics pushing pushing and pulling around and we actually have a bit of a two-way market at the moment if you like um, and that is good because at least it means that there is a dynamic rather than it all being one way up and then one way down which is perhaps what we've been used to for a period of time so we expect inflation to remain but we do expect the growth in inflation and we expect the whole sort of headline rate to still drift lower even if it is going to be a bit slower but certainly there is the impression and I think it is the right impression that inflation is at least under some form of control now um, even if it isn't quite at the absolute level people want it to be at so that is I think going to continue to be one of the main factors on interest rates. Yeah, to confirm, it was Carrefour, the French supermarket chain, and PepsiCo who were rowing over prices. Uh, I think in recent days we've seen them bicker over who dumped who, but obviously just highlights that pushback on prices regardless. Um, we did have some of the latest inflation data for the UK for December from the British Retail Consortium. Um, they showed that UK price inflation eased to its lowest level since June 2022, so just supporting what Wayne was saying. I think goods in general, they have been declining with uh, much of the falling goods inflation driving that headline figure lower last year. Uh, Wayne did mention the geopolitical risks in the Red Sea area, which has driven commercial ships to reroute. That obviously is impacting trade flows and we're already seeing the likes of uh, Next in the UK and then Tesla also comment on delays uh, due to these disruptions. Just to put that into perspective as well, so rerouting a container ship from Shanghai to Rotterdam around the Cape of Good Hope adds around eight days as well as um, half a million dollars in fuel costs. We have already seen freight rates double since the start of that crisis, but um, any prolonged or sort of escalation in tensions does bring it with inflationary pressures. So there are, are potential risks there. Um, just moving away from the inflation story um, and talking about risks, is there any other risks you're seeing at the moment, Wayne? The other perhaps slightly understated concern that is getting louder is around debt levels, corporate debt levels, but also in particularly government debt levels. Um, we're seeing it already that um, a few people are pointing to the fact that budget deficits of certain governments are still too high. And I think this is going to be perhaps the biggest economic problem of 2024, where people are going to have to learn that governments can't always bail people out. So we are likely to see more corporate bankruptcies, and we saw a construction company go bankrupt in the UK last week. Um, that had a slight negative effect on construction stocks for a short while, but it wasn't perhaps the horror story, it wasn't getting the horror headlines. And I think we're going to see very leveraged sectors, particularly around property, um, construction, and maybe some of the areas of excessive consumption, as we've seen perhaps with Burberry, that um, are going to come under pressure. 
and not everyone will survive. And there's going to be no bailout. There's going to be no sort of sudden influx of money from central banks. And I don't think there's going to be rapid interest rate cuts to save any sectors. Governments just can't afford to do that anymore. Why? The bond markets have got choices where they go. Last year, there was a huge inflow into bond markets because interest rates became interesting. Money came from property, money came from infrastructure and other assets and got got, got invested into fixed income. This year, there isn't going to be that huge inflow that there was previously. And at the same time, there is record issuance, record issuance from governments, record issuance from corporates. At this very moment in January, because I think most people sort of annual or one-year interest rate expectations are still for lower rates. Um, and even if it's not one year, it's going to be certainly for two years. So people are expecting rates to come down. There's some good demand for some of these assets for people who will buy them and hold them to maturity. Because if you're looking for a 10-year investment where, you, where, where you're not going to cash it in or you're not going to move it and you're not bothered about the day-to-day -day pricing, um, if, you're, if you're one of those long-term investors that doesn't have to worry about the day-to-day -day valuations of their investments, of course, they're ideal to have. They can be locked away and they will continue to provide a return. And then you don't have to worry, say, in six months' time that you've got to um, put, money, put, put money away and the rate might not be so high. So you won't have that same level of what we call reinvestment risk. But at the same time, we've got high demand that we don't expect to high, high demand for bonds that we don't expect there to be there forever and we've got strong supply that's expected to go on throughout the year so there are potential problems later on in the year or or even now where markets are going to have to understand that um, they've got to produce better returns um, for, for the investors because money itself is in shorter supply all the central banks have been draining money out of the economy. All the excess money that was pumped into the economy, particularly around the COVID period when the European balance sheet shot up, the UK balance sheet shot up, each of these central banks is slowly taking money out of the economy. Um, they can be quite aggressively draining with um, practical quantitative tightening in America or what we have in the UK and what we have in Europe is just not reinvesting the money as it matures, not reinvesting the interest. So gradually bringing their balance sheets back down, which is an important part of the process. It's important for building confidence because money is demanded all around the world and money moves around the world. So investors, those who make the investment decisions, have got choices. They don't have to worry about FOMO as they did in previous years because there's so much money and if they don't get into this investment, other people will and they'll be missing out. It's the opposite. It's now actually we can choose and we will have a much stronger sense of capital discipline and therefore there will be um, much more considered choices. And therefore, you know, you might not get that IPO at the price you wanted. We already saw that last year and already this year there has been a shortage of IPOs in the equity market because no one's getting the price they want. And with bond markets, people might demand more for, say, 10, 15-year paper um, than they are at the moment. So although interest rates may be falling, you might not see such a sharp fall or you might even see a rise in some of those longer-term interest rates because bond investors will say, well, you know, I can invest in a better quality bond or I'd prefer to be, prefer to be shorter dated at the moment. So... We've got these different dynamics going on and our, these dynamics will be changing in 2024. And I think one of the hardest dynamics for markets is going to be is really uh, there is no desire by central banks to step in. Against that, of course, we have got a year of elections. We've got elections in 
in Taiwan this weekend, um, just to date when we're doing this recording. But not only that, we've also got elections coming up in India, um, possibly in the UK or probably in the UK and in the US. And that's enough to be getting on with. That covers a significant part of the global economy. So in each of these cases, there's a degree of predictability. I don't think there's any surprises expected in any of these um, in, in any of these elections per se, but um, you never know, and you can't rule out um, a surprise in either the UK or even in the US at this level because there, there are a number of other dynamics as well as voter intentions in play, particularly in the US. So we've got... Um, political pressures, um, which means I think, you know, you do worry governments might try to do something just to buy voters. That would be perhaps more of an issue in the UK than anywhere else. But um, those issues aside, knowing that there's going to be changes in government, mean that I think markets already have got a, a grip of this, but they will put some demands and they will act as a straitjacket on markets. So although you might be getting record bids for bonds at the start of the year because people want to lock things away, um, by the middle of the year we do think things might be slightly different and capital discipline will become far more important for markets. Thank you for listening to the latest Everything Ethical podcast. We'll be looking to keep investors updated regularly throughout the year, so do look out for the next podcast when it's released. In the meantime, if you do have any questions, please reach out to your King of Saxon representative. For professional clients only. The information contained in this podcast is for general information purposes and should not be considered a personal recommendation or specific investment advice. Please remember, the value of investments and the income arising from them may fall as well as rise and is not guaranteed. King & Shackson Asset Management is authorised and regulated by the UK's FCA.